This episode goes out to all the people who vote on the Doak Walker Award because they made the inexcusable mistake of leaving Audrey Kessemay off their list of semifinalists, which led to one of the best performances by a Notre Dame running back that we have ever seen. Thank you, guys. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Monday, November 27th, so thank you for getting your week started here by making this your first listen of the day. I hope you enjoyed a great Thanksgiving with friends and family. I hope you had all the food and football that your heart desires. And I'm Tyler Wojcik. Uh, I'm the host. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And this episode of Locked On Irish is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. All right. Let's talk about Notre Dame's 56-23 win over the Stanford Cardinal in the final game of the regular season. It was, uh, it was a weird game, to be honest. But in a way, it was sort of a microcosm of how the season has gone for the Irish. Because for most of the game, Notre Dame looked like a playoff caliber team. But then there were those moments that make you want to pull your hair out. And you remember why this team finished 9-3. I mean, they lost the turnover battle 4-2 to Stanford. And Stanford was minus 5 on the season and turnover margin heading into this game. It just, it makes no sense. But still, Notre Dame won going away. So I'm going to go over all my takeaways from this game um, in all three phases. Then I'll start to look ahead to what comes next for this team and really this program. Because even though Notre Dame still has a bowl game left to play, the offseason basically started on Sunday and it's going to be a very busy time for Notre Dame and really the rest of college football. I mean, the transfer portal is already pretty much in full swing, even though it opens, or at least the contact period, the legal contact period for the coaches begins on December 4th. But I alluded to it in the beginning off the top. Um, for Audrey Kesame, man, it starts and ends with him in this one. And if Saturday does end up being Audrey Kesame's final game in a Notre Dame uniform, he certainly saved his best for last. And something that I was thinking about as I was watching Audrey Kesame run all over that Stanford defense is it brought me back to last year when Notre Dame was upset by Stanford at home. And Estime coughed up a crucial fumble uh, in the fourth quarter of that game. It essentially lost them the game. Not only that, Estime was basically benched for the next game against UNLV because of it. Then he started to play more um, at the end of that. But still, that was a very key moment for Esme in that season and really his career. So this year, he comes back, goes to Stanford, and just runs through the Stanford defenders over and over and over again. He finished with 25 carries for 238 yards. He had 9.5 yards per carry, which is laughable. He was basically averaging a first down every time he touched the ball. And as a matter of fact, 14 of his 25 carries resulted in first downs or touchdowns. That's over 50%. Um, that sack came courtesy of Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. He also had four touchdowns, and he did all of this in just three quarters of action. He did not have a carry in the fourth quarter. His 238 rushing yards is the fourth most by a player in a single game in, in program history. Um, it was just 24 yards short of tying Julius Jones's record for the most rushing yards in a single game that he set against Pitt way back uh, in 2003. And after the game, we found out that Audrey Esme and running backs coach Dylan McCullough did in fact know how close Esme was to the school record. But by that point, his day was done. He did not ask to come in, uh, come into the game. Uh, Marcus Freeman did not know about the record. He said afterwards, I don't know if that would have changed his mind. Maybe they bring him in because I honestly think that if he got 
maybe two more carries, there is a real chance that he could have broken that record. But instead, they opted to sit him, and now he'll finish with the fourth most um, in a single game. He did break the single-season rushing touchdown record, though, with 18, so it was still a record-setting day for the bruising running back, but it could have just been a little bit more. I was... Personally hoping that they would bring him in. I thought that'd be pretty cool. But either way, SMA finishes the season with 210 carries, 1,341 yards on the ground, which is fifth all-time at Notre Dame in a single season. He also added 142 receiving yards. And as I just said, he had 18 rushing touchdowns. And this all comes just a few days after Audric Estime was omitted from the semifinals for the Doak Walker Award, which is given out to the best college running back annually. And after the game, Estime admitted that he was pretty pissed off about that. I mean, he even tweeted, I think at the very beginning of 2022, that his goal was to win the Doak Walker Award and win the national championship. And this was a goal of his before the season. Unfortunately for him, um, he was not able to get it. And look, I think it was definitely a snub. He's absolutely one of the top 10 running backs in the country, but he wasn't the only snub. Like these awards get it wrong all the time. We all saw what happened last year with the Mackey Award and really the year before when um, Michael Mayer wasn't even included in the finalists despite being clearly one of the best, if not the best tight end in the entire country. But for the Doak Walker Award, um, SMA wasn't the only snub. Oregon's Bucky Irving was also not included, which is crazy because Bucky Irving, if you've watched any of Oregon this year, um, Bo Nix might win the Heisman, but Bucky Irving might be the best player on that offense. He's one of the best or most dynamic players in the entire country, and he wasn't on that list either, and he is definitely a top 10 running back. So these awards get it wrong all the time. But even then, Audrick Estime absolutely should have been a semifinalist for the award. I don't know if he should have won it, but there's no way you can convince me that there's 10 better running backs than Estime in college right now. So when you look at Estime's season as a whole, uh, he certainly stamped it the right way. I don't know if he's going to play in the ballgame. I assume he won't. I assume that he's going to declare for the NFL draft here probably the next week or so and opt um, to skip out on the bowl game because that guy has carried the ball 210 times this season. He's taken a lot of hits, and he needs to preserve all of that for the future uh, of his NFL career because I think he really does have a bright future at the next level. But my opinion, um, I think if Notre Dame had given him the ball more on the final drive against Ohio State and he was able to close out that game, he absolutely would have been included. I'm speculating here. He did have sort of that signature moment against Duke when he scored the game-winning touchdown there, and that was great, but I think we can all admit that it would have been better if Estime had just gotten the ball on that final drive and was able to bleed out the clock and and get Notre Dame that signature win. We all thought it was going to happen. He had an 11-yard run on that drive, and he was doing the feed-me thing. I really thought it was going to happen, but look, it didn't, and... uh, Audrick Estime still had an incredible season. Unfortunately, he's just not going to be given an award by those that vote on the award at the end of it. So unfortunate for him, but still a really just incredible performance by him. A great way to end the season. He wasn't the only guy on Notre Dame that was running over the Stanford defense. Um, Notre Dame finished with 381 rushing yards. Sam Hartman and Jeremiah Love were tied for second with 47 rushing yards apiece. Plus, Jabron Payne got in there. He had a nice game with six carries for 35 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Uh, That touchdown was almost a fumble. Thank God that it wasn't because Notre Dame had a couple other fumbles, including one by Jadarian Price earlier in the game. And there was actually a moment there after Jabron Payne scored that touchdown and they were reviewing whether or not it was a fumble or a touchdown. And you could see Marcus Freeman getting into it with Estime and running backs coach Dylan McCullough. And basically, Estime said after the game that Freeman was putting part of that responsibility on Estime because he's the leader and he's the star of that room for the fact that Jadarian Price had already fumbled and Jabron Payne had just fumbled in that moment. Now, it wasn't, uh, it was ruled a touchdown, so Payne wasn't registered with that fumble, but still, 
I think that tells you a lot about Estime's leadership that he wasn't even on the field and Freeman was giving him a hard time because he's that important to that room and that important to those guys. So um, I think Notre Dame's running back room is in is in great shape with or without Audric Estime, although obviously you'd love to have him next year. I just don't think that's going to be the case. Um, as all, Notre Dame ran for 11.66 yards per carry on first downs. Uh, that's also from Tim O'Malley, and that's a decent way to get the offense going, in my opinion. So Notre Dame was able to run the ball at will, and you could make the case that Notre Dame should have run the ball every single play much like uh, Michigan did against Penn State in the second half of that game because Hartman had another pretty rough game on the road. I really I don't get it. I don't understand how he's been so effective at home and then struggles mightily on the road. He finished 8 of 14 for 140 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. I mentioned he had 47 rushing yards, but he had a fumble on the opening drive after a really nice scramble. He made a great run, but tried to get some extra yards and then fumbled it. Um, Stanford was able to recover, and his interception that he threw was just such a bad decision and a bad pass. Like When Hartman throws off his back foot when he doesn't have to. It is so frustrating to watch because it just takes so much strength off the ball. And when he steps up, when he drives the ball down the field and really delivers it, he looks like an NFL draft prospect, but he, way too often he makes bad decisions, sort of takes a step back, throws it off his back foot, tries to force the ball in there when it's just not necessary. But the one good thing about Notre Dame's passing game in this one is that the receivers came up big, partially out of necessity. Before the game, tight end Holden Stace was ruled out with a shoulder injury, and obviously Mitchell Evans is out for the season with the torn ACL. So Notre Dame was down to their third and fourth tight ends. Um, I did think that Eli Raritan and Cooper Flanagan played well in the run game, despite the fact that neither caught a pass. But Notre Dame's wide receivers combined for eight receptions on 13 targets. Jordan Faison led the way with 66 yards on three catches and a touchdown. It was hilarious how bad Faison burnt that defender on the post route for a touchdown, just completely turned him around. And uh, it was just one of those moments where you look at Stanford and you're like, God, this team is terrible. But credit to Faison, it's a good route, good catch there. Um, Chris Tyree back in on the action, two catches, 38 yards. And Tobias Merriweather, only, even though he only had one catch for 16 yards, it was a big one. Uh, it came on third down. He had to fight to catch the ball. It was in a contested catch, something that we've been you know, really wanting to see from him all season long. He comes up with a big play there. Jane Greathouse has now scored a touchdown in back-to-back games. Uh, his one catch went for a score. And then Rico Flores, quiet night, just one catch for five yards. But still, Notre Dame's passing game was really not that effective. It didn't have to be because Notre Dame was running the ball so well. But it was just one of those games, especially at the beginning, we were watching this Notre Dame offense. And the game was never in doubt. Even when Notre Dame was struggling, I, I never was concerned that they were going to lose the game. But I just sort of rolled my eyes at the turnovers. Like, come on, guys, you're better than this. Um, and it really just makes for a puzzling evaluation of the offense because they finished the season averaging 39.1 points per game, which is the second most in school history, according to Pete Sampson. And their 6.95 yards per play also ranks as second most all-time. Now, obviously, context is important here. A lot of those points and a lot of those yards came against bad teams. Notre Dame's offense did not play nearly as well against some of the top um, opponents on their schedule, and that's a big reason why they finished 9-3. But it's just one of those things where, like, you watch this offense, and at times they look so good, and at other times you're like, how is this happening? How can this offense be that bad? And it's something that I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about throughout the rest of this offseason and uh, for many more episodes to come. But it's time to give some love to the defense. They were able to bounce back after a bit of a shaky start, and that's coming up right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all of the fun you're going to have. If you plan on attending the bowl game, whatever that bowl game may be, 
Game time is the perfect place to get your ticket. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can even get your images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Plus, you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, literally just two taps in your set, and the tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked On College for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Before we move on, I wanted to remind you guys to please like the video below and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast. You can help us out by hitting that subscribe button from wherever it is that you get your podcast. Also, you can rate the show five stars and leave a nice review if you're feeling generous. Um, I know that the season is winding down, but I feel like the podcast and the content, there's going to be a lot of news coming out in the near future, so it's really going to ramp up here with the transfer portal, coaching carousel, all that. So you're going to want to be subscribed so that way you can stay up to date with every new episode because we're doing it daily on the show, even in the offseason. All right, let's get back to the Sanford game. Let's talk about that Notre Dame defense. They were able to bounce back after a pretty shaky start. Now, obviously, they were dealt a bad hand in some situations because of the short field, courtesy of the Notre Dame turnovers. But I did not expect Stanford to score 10 points, let alone 13, and be leading after the first quarter. But that was the case in this one. And I said in the pregame show that I expected their offensive coordinator, Tavita Pritchard, to throw the kitchen sink and maybe a little bit more at Notre Dame. And that's exactly what they did. They were running fake reverses. They were running a bunch of misdirection, motion. Um, at one point, I think they had the, uh, the slot lined up in between the tackle and the guard. That was a pretty wild formation. They, they don't have a ton of talent, but they have a ton of creativity. So tip your cap to them. I actually found some enjoyment watching their offense, even when they were kind of busting some big plays in Notre Dame. I didn't like that part of it, but I thought it was pretty Pretty interesting and entertaining to watch. Like that fake reverse in the end zone that uh, set up a touchdown for them. That was a really nice play. And uh, it makes you think what that offense could be if they have some more talent. I don't know if Tavita Pritchard is going to be there um, by the time that they're able to get some more talent on that offense. But I was really entertained by that. Okay. And give credit to Al Golden. They expected it. They knew that they were going to throw a lot at them. Um, and even though Stanford was able to burn them a few times, Notre Dame was able to figure it out as they've been able to do so often this season. you got to give a ton of credit to Al Golden and the entire defensive staff for being able to recognize what the offense is throwing at them and being able to adjust mid-game and get their players to execute on the fly. It's when having a bunch of 50-year seniors at, at linebacker is really helpful when you're able to make those adjustments in the game and then be able to execute them, execute them on the field. It's not an easy thing to do, but Notre Dame has done it time and time again this season. It's a big reason why that defense has been so potent all season long. Stanford did have two plays of over 50 yards, which is really not something we've seen the Notre Dame defense allow much at all this season, uh, especially not through the air. They did hit that 53-yard pass to Emmett Smith's kid. Um, Jordan Botella was out in coverage, and he looked kind of lost out there. It's not his natural you know, position, not his natural element, but still, that was a little bit disappointing. Um, Notre Dame has been susceptible to some explosive run plays this season. Stanford was able to break one off with their quarterback. I think the Notre Dame's defense got confused that they, they thought they had him tackled, and then he just sort of poked out and ran for a big play, but they're able to tackle him short of the end zone. And uh, Sanford finished with 359 total yards. That's way more than I thought they were going to get in this game. They had 216 passing, 143 rushing, which is about average. Norm is 35th in the country in rush defense, giving up um, 128 rush yards per game. So it's a little bit more than that. Um, but again, they had a couple big plays. So I think that was a big reason why those stats are what they are. The real difference maker in this game, at least on that side of the ball, 
Notre Dame held Stanford to five of 16 on third downs and one of four on fourth downs. So six of 20 on third and fourth downs, more likely than not, you're going to win that game when you hold the other team to 6 of 20 on those conversions. The one player Notre Dame absolutely had to contain was Stanford wide receiver number 13, Alec A.O. Manor. And Notre Dame did exactly that. I mean, A.O. Manor finished with seven catches on 16 targets. They really forced him the ball because they had to. This is the guy who burnt Travis Hunter time and time again when um, Stanford was able to mount that epic comeback against the Colorado Buffaloes. He's a really good player. I'll be very interested to see if he puts his name in the transfer portal this offseason. If he does, that is exactly the type of player that Notre Dame needs on their roster. Although, um, I believe it was Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated who sort of casually dropped last week that Alec did have a visit, which we all knew about it, but he said that his visit went really poorly uh, when he was at Notre Dame. So, I don't know. If he does decide to enter the portal, maybe Notre Dame could try and get him. And and I want to learn more about that story. So, Tim Priester, if you're listening to this, come on the podcast. I know he's not listening to this still. Maybe we'll get him on in the offseason. I think uh, that would be great to have the elder statesman of the Notre Dame beat on this podcast. Now that I'm saying it here, I think I'm going to start to get that, get that plan in the works as soon as I'm done recording. But let's get back to the point here. Um, Notre Dame, when they had Cam Hart... Or Benjamin Morrison guarding Alec Aomaner. He only had three catches for 22 yards, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, it was a really great game by Notre Dame's defensive backs, yet another uh, in a season full of them. Notre Dame is now number one in pass efficiency defense on the year. What Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart have done this season, like I can say without a doubt, that is the best cornerback tandem I've seen in my lifetime. I'm not going to argue with the. Uh, you know, the older Notre Dame fans who are going to be able to pinpoint another, a better cornerback tandem that I just don't remember at this point in time, but they have just been phenomenal all season long and they were great again on Saturday. And really Notre Dame's defense, they created a ton of havoc in this game. They had four sacks, nine tackles for loss, five pass breakups, Jack Kaiser interception that could have been returned for a touchdown and a fumble recovery by Ramon Henderson. There were several standouts in this one. Javante Jean-Baptiste, man, he's been unbelievable for Notre Dame this year. He has exceeded all expectations. He finished with a sack and a half, um, another TFL on top of that. Plus, he returned that block field goal for a touchdown, which was an incredible display of athleticism and also maybe the funniest stiff arm of all time when I, I think it was the holder on Stanford tried to bring him down. Javante just tossed him down like a rag doll and then managed to stay inbounds and finish the playoff with the touchdown. That's, that's one of the great things about playing an absolutely terrible team like Stanford is you get those plays like that when guys on defense or maybe guys on special teams are able to get the ball and score. It's, so, it's not something that would happen against a good team, but very happy for JJB. He's had a great season, gets a stamp it with a touchdown there. And I think he's, drastically improved his NFL draft stock with what he's been able to do for the Irish this season. Also, Maris Leofau, he looked like the player that we saw from earlier in the year. He finished with two and a half TFLs. And when he hits guys, man, especially in the backfield, he's so violent. He just whips guys on the ground and sort of just stands over him like, sit down, little boy. But he had a good game. Nana Osafa Mensa had some big plays in the backfield. Uh, he had a sack and a tackle for loss on the same drive. He could be really helpful for Notre Dame next year. I really hope that he comes back for six year. That is TBD at this moment in time. Uh, speaking of guys that Notre Dame would love to have around for next year, Howard Cross and Riley Mills, they were strong up the middle again. And uh, I already kind of alluded to it with Ramon Henderson and his fumble recovery. I think this was his best game of the season and maybe even his career, certainly the most impactful. Um, if he's on the team next year, he would be a quality reserve, had the fumble recovery. He also had um, a couple pass breakups as well. So that was really good to see from him. He could potentially be a quality reserve or maybe even a starter next year at safety. So just another great performance by the Notre Dame defense. I know they gave up 23 points, but I don't think that's like an adequate representation of the 
performance that they put out there. So just really great stuff by Al Golden's group. Um, the special teams, let's give some love to them because they shined again. And something that uh, Greg Flamung and I were talking about, and he brought this up, and we started talking about it. I'm like, you know what? You got a point. Did Marty Biaggi have a better season as the Notre Dame special teams coach than Brian Mason did last year. Now, Notre Dame did not block a punt this year, which is the obvious difference between Biagi and Brian Mason's unit, which blocked seven punts last season. It became like an extension of the offense because Notre Dame's defense or Notre Dame's offense needed special teams to come up with some big plays because they were just so bad at quarterback, and they were able to do that. But with Javante Jean-Baptiste returned for a touchdown after a blocked field goal, that is the fourth special teams touchdown for the Irish on the year, and they've, they've been able to do it in a bunch of different ways. The other ones, Chris Tyree had that punt return for a touchdown against Pitt. Ramon Henderson recovered uh, that muff punt in the end zone also against Pitt. Jadarian Price had the biggest play of the game against USC with his kickoff return for a touchdown. Notre Dame blocked a field goal in this one. They blocked a field goal against Tennessee State, and they also blocked a field goal against Wake Forest. So they have been extremely impactful throughout the season. It just hasn't been all on one unit, and I don't – you know, get to the edge of my seat every time that Notre Dame goes out there to block a punt. That has not been the case this year, but I've been really impressed with what I've seen from the special teams unit in all the phases, like even kicking. Spencer Schrader, rough start to the year, but his field goal percentage is just 3% worse than Blake Rupees was last year, 70% compared to 73%. But Groupie didn't have one attempt over 50 yards, and Spencer Schrader has made five out of 11 attempts over 50, so that's really good. And, uh, Punter Bryce McPherson, he might not be as accurate as John Sott, um, especially at pinning opponents back inside the 20, but he's definitely been servable, serviceable. Excuse me. I don't think the drop-off from Sott to him has been that severe, if there's even been a drop-off at all. So I think both uh, are very good special teams coordinators. Brian Mason, obviously, now with the Indianapolis Colts. But I've just been really impressed with what I've seen from Martin, Marty Biagi in year one, and I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it was pretty encouraging that the moment that Mason left, Marcus Freeman clearly wanted Biagi. He went to him, interviewed him, hired him almost immediately, just a few days after Mason left. So if he's around for Notre Dame for a long time, I think uh, there's plenty of reasons to be excited about what Notre Dame can do on special teams because they've really been impactful. They've been sort of like a secret ingredient for this team all season long. They've come up with some big plays and some key moments, and uh, it is not something I would have expected going into the year. All right, now that we've covered all three phases of the Stanford game, let's start to look ahead at what this game means for the future. That's coming up right after this. We've got some really exciting stuff going on here at the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel lately, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. All right, let's give a pick out for today. So let's look at the Monday night football game between the Bears and the Vikings. Um, not the best game, especially a week after the Chiefs-Eagles game last week, two of the best teams in the NFL Super Bowl rematch. That was a classic. And now we get Bears-Vikings. But it's okay. You bet on this game with Fandle, and you'll be excited for this one as well. I like the over in this one. The total is set at 43.5. I think both teams... They're not very good, but they're going to be able to put up some points in this one. So give me the over um, in Bears-Vikings. Visit Fandle.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. Fandle, an official partner of the NFL. 
So as we start to wrap up the 2023 regular season for Notre Dame, I actually want to think back to last season. And whenever we talked about the 2022 season in the aftermath of it all, what were the two games that came up first in like every single conversation about last year? It was Marshall and Stanford. Two absolutely inexplicable losses. So in the offseason, we spent a bunch of time talking about how Marcus Freeman can improve in year two. And one obvious way was to not lose the games that you absolutely could not lose. Stanford was one of those games. They lost it last year. They're able to win it on Saturday. And now that Stanford is in the books, Freeman has done that. He has not lost any of the games that he should not lose to. Um, And even though Notre Dame's losses this season, certainly they were painful, but they weren't to teams with far less talent like the ones against Marshall and Stanford. So that's one big takeaway from this game and the other games when they were heavily favored. Notre Dame was able to take care of business when they had to. Um, It's not the flashiest thing. It's not the most fun thing to talk about on podcasts, but it's extremely important because if you lose those games, especially every season, like that's when things can get really bad. Even if you have a really high ceiling, if your floor is that low, it can really alter your expectations and the outcomes uh, in the end, and it can change how you evaluate a season. So the great teams don't lose those games. They don't lose games they shouldn't, and it's what Brian Kelly was best at. It's part of the reason why he got a $100 million contract from LSU, and this year, Notre Dame didn't do that. that. They didn't lose any of those games, and that is a big, big win for Marcus Freeman. But still, this team does lack a signature win. They might get an opportunity to get that signature win if they go up against LSU in a bowl game. That remains to be seen. It's certainly a possibility they could end up playing the Tigers in the ReliQuest Bowl. Uh, Even if Jane Daniels doesn't play in this game, uh, the potential Heisman winner there, I still think it's very important because the Brian Kelly aspect, still LSU's a good team. Like Even without Jane Daniels, they got Nussmeyer behind him who is – really talented thrower. He's obviously not Jane Daniels, but it's not like they're putting um, Drew Pine back there. Sorry, had to. Um, Either way, it would still be a really big win, and I think a win like that could carry weight uh, throughout the offseason. It would make things a lot better for Notre Dame, and I know some fans are concerned. They're like, oh, I don't want to play LSU because Notre Dame might lose. Then, like, what is the point, dude? Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, it's not fun just beating up on bad teams all the time, especially when Notre Dame doesn't have a big win this season. We thought the USC game was going to be a big win. Turns out they're horrible. They're a dumpster fire. So that win um, doesn't look as great in retrospect, even though it was still so much fun beating up on Notre Dame's arch rival and beating up on Caleb Williams in the moment. Like nothing is going to take away from that night in South Bend. That was that was great. So. Marcus Freeman's sticking point um, all season long has been getting this team to play at their full potential, to maximize their potential. It's been his new buzzword. And uh, the closest they came to doing that was against USC. But even then, I wouldn't consider that a, a perfect offensive performance by far. So Notre Dame still has not been able to do that. The hope is that they're able to do that in the poll game against a team like LSU. Maybe it's Tennessee. I still think that'd be a good win. I saw another poll projection out there that Notre Dame could play Oklahoma State. Doesn't particularly move the needle for me, but we'll see. Um, But when a team isn't playing up to their full potential, that's partially on the players, but I think most of it is on the coaching staff. And as we look at this game against Sanford, like how Notre Dame has not been able to start off hot in any of these road games is so beyond me. It just, it doesn't make any sense. They, the same mistakes that Notre Dame, that have plagued Notre Dame all season long came back to bite Notre Dame again on Saturday. And even though they didn't lose the game, they still lost the turnover battle 4-2. to two. And it just kind of leaves you wondering why this season ended the way that it did, finishing 9-3. and three. And look, like that's over the season win total for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's projected win total was 8.5 on most sports books. That's what it was on Fandle. So they were able to exceed expectations in the eyes of the experts in Vegas, but still... 
there's a lot left to be desired uh, from this team and from this season. So I'm hoping that they're able to get a good chance in the bowl game here to really put a stamp uh, on the season in the same way that Audrey Esme was able to do it for his season individually. Um, I think Notre Dame really needs it. I think Marcus Freeman needs that. And I think we all need that as fans because it's it's been a weird year. Like, there's been some really fun times, but then there are times where you're just like, okay, like, whatever, good win, fun, fun game watching Notre Dame beat the crap out of a team who's, who's really not that good. And that's what we saw again on Saturday. So um, I'm happy with the win, obviously. I just wish that we would be talking about Notre Dame as a potential playoff contender in this one, but... They weren't this season. They didn't deserve to be in the college football playoff. Hell, they didn't even deserve to be in the 12-team college football playoff if that had been enacted for this season. But that will be the case next season. It's going to change everything in college football and the way we look at teams and evaluate coaches, players, all of that. We're, we're about to undergo a huge change in the sport that we all know and love. And a lot of that change is going to start here very soon because the offseason has begun. And something I'm going to say a lot on this podcast, I think it's going to be the theme of the offseason, especially after what Notre Dame dealt with last offseason when there was a lot of bad days. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days in the offseason. It's really going to be a matter of how great is your best day and how bad is your worst day. Because I think when you look back at Notre Dame's last offseason, the worst day was when, I, I, I guess it's days, right? The offensive coordinator, disaster that was. I guess it was multiple days. But really, that was the most impactful thing from Notre Dame's offseason, and it showed itself on the field throughout the fall. So there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. Hopefully the good ones outnumber the bad ones, and hopefully the best day is much, much better than the worst day. If that's the case, then I think the vibes will be high going into next season. But look, there's going to be plenty of time to evaluate this season as a whole um, and plenty of time to talk about the offseason. But for now, Notre Dame was able to dominate a rival once again. They beat Stanford 56-23, to and that is going to do it for this episode. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. Luke Smith is going to be back on the show tomorrow. We'll put a bow on the Stanford game. We'll start to shift gears to the offseason later in the week on the show. Remember, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast. You can also give us a follow on social media. Um, it's going to be a really fun offseason on the show. I can't wait. Um, I'm sad, of course, that the season is ending, but I'm really excited about what's to come for Notre Dame. And on this podcast, there's going to be a lot to talk about. So stay tuned, subscribe, do all of that. But until then, I will see you tomorrow with Luke Smith. See you then.